From the wilderness of Kodiak Island, Alaska, this is Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier with your host, Robin Bearfield. In a land full of peril and vicious animals, humans are the most dangerous predators of all. Greetings from Mammoth Pass. I apologize for my unplanned absence. Our HughesNet satellite internet has been nearly non-functional this summer. I recorded an episode about Chris McCandless, and it's almost 40 minutes long. I've tried to upload it for a month, but haven't been successful. I'm going to attempt to do a shorter episode and see if it will upload. The internet usually improves in the fall, and I will post the McCandless episode then. Thank you for your patience. As I've mentioned in other episodes, each year an average of 2,250 people disappear in Alaska, twice the national average. According to the Alaska State Troopers, approximately 1,520 people currently are listed as missing in Alaska. The cases date back to the 1950s. Some of these people vanished on purpose and others suffered unfortunate accidents. We know a few met with foul play, though. They were alive, well, and happy one moment, and then they suddenly disappeared without a trace. The two stories I'm covering in this episode describe every parent's worst nightmare. And in both cases, I can't help but wonder why more wasn't done at the time to search for these young women. Since both cases technically remain open, though, the public cannot access the police files, and perhaps authorities have done a great deal over the years to search for Aaron and Johnny. Maybe with new technology, detectives will solve these cases. Twenty-four-year-old Erin Marie Gilbert stood 5 foot 11 inches and weighed 145 pounds. Erin was outgoing and beautiful, with brown hair, hazel eyes, and a gorgeous smile. Erin was also athletic and strong. According to her friends, Erin easily started conversations with strangers and was not shy. Erin Gilbert was tall, vibrant, and friendly. She would have been hard to miss. But strangely, few people remember seeing her at the forest fair in Girdwood, Alaska, on the night she disappeared. In July 1995, Erin had lived in Alaska for only a year. She was staying with her father in San Francisco when her sister, Stephanie Gilbert Juarez, invited Erin to move to Alaska and live with her, her husband, and her two young children. Erin soon found a job as a nanny, and while she enjoyed living in Alaska, she yearned to meet more people and widen her circle of friends. In late June 1995, Erin decided to spend an evening socializing, so she went to Chilkoot Charlie's, a well-known Anchorage bar. At the bar, she met a young man named Dave Combs. Erin and Dave met again a few nights later. 
Then, Dave invited Aaron to go to the Girdwood Forest Fair in Girdwood, Alaska, a small ski town located approximately 35 miles southeast of Anchorage, near the end of the Turnagain Arm of Cook Inlet. The Girdwood Forest Fair remains an annual event to this day, and it features music, craft booths, and a beer garden. On July 1, 1995, Dave Combs arrived at the Juarez house at approximately 4.30 p.m. Aaron's sister, Stephanie, and Stephanie's husband met Dave and talked to him briefly. Stephanie later recalled that Aaron did not seem overly excited about going to the fair with Dave, but she had nothing else to do, so she agreed to go. Stephanie remembered her four-year-old son saying, Auntie Aaron, you should bring a cell phone. But Aaron said she didn't need the phone. Stephanie later wondered if a cell phone would have saved Aaron's life. Dave and Aaron drove to the fair, and a few witnesses remember seeing Aaron and her date at the beer garden around 6 p.m. From this point, the story gets strange. According to Dave Combs, he and Aaron returned to his car around 6 p.m. He said he accidentally had left his lights on and his battery was dead. Dave claimed he told Aaron to wait in his car. He said he had a friend in Girdwood and would walk to his house and get help. According to Dave, he walked for two hours but could not find his friend's house. When he returned to his car, Aaron was gone. He said he turned the key in the ignition again, and this time the car started. He then walked back to the fair and searched for Aaron until 1 a.m., but he found no sign of her. Dave said he assumed Aaron got tired of waiting for him and found another ride back to Anchorage. At 7 the following morning, Dave called Stephanie and asked if Aaron made it home safely. Stephanie said his tone sounded casual, and she was shocked to learn he had not told anyone Aaron was missing. Stephanie immediately went on high alert. It was not normal for Aaron to stay out all night, and she would have called if something had delayed her. Stephanie and her family drove to the fair and searched for Aaron. They used the public address system on the stage to ask if anyone had recently seen Aaron. They searched the woods and fairgrounds, but found no trace of her. Finally, they reported Aaron's disappearance to the Alaska State Troopers, and the troopers initiated an extensive search with dogs and helicopters. But still, they did not find Aaron Murray Gilbert. In a 2018 podcast called Alaska Unsolved, producer Evan Phillips created a season-long investigative series to delve into the Aaron Gilbert case. A few months earlier, Aaron's family jump-started her missing persons case by offering a $35,000 reward for information about Aaron's disappearance. Stephanie also started a Facebook page called Finding Aaron Marie Gilbert where people can leave tips. By this time, 23 years had passed since Aaron's disappearance, and her family hoped someone who might have been afraid to come forward at the time Aaron vanished would now step up and tell what they knew about the incident. 
In his podcast, Evan Phillips uncovered an interesting contradiction in the case. He could not track down Dave Combs' errand's date for the evening, but Phillips labored to find anyone who remembered seeing Aaron at the Girdwood Forest Fair on the night she vanished. One woman he located had a booth at the fair in 1995 where she sold temporary tattoos and hairstyling services. She said Aaron stopped by her booth to talk about getting her belly button pierced. The vendor told Aaron they were not doing piercings at the fair, but they could do it in their Anchorage shop. She said Aaron seemed excited about getting the piercing and said she would call the shop the following week and make an appointment. The interesting point about this encounter is the vendor correctly described Aaron and her clothes, but she said Aaron's date had a short, military-style haircut and looked a few years older than Aaron. According to Stephanie Juarez, Dave Combs was around Aaron's age and had relatively long hair, hanging three inches below his ears. The vendor also recalled Aaron stopped by her booth sometime during the evening hours. She said Stephanie and the man appeared to be friends. The vendor had a theory about Aaron's disappearance. She believes Dave Combs told the truth about the dead battery and leaving Aaron to go for help. She thinks Aaron got bored and came back to the fair. She believes Aaron then met the acquaintance with the short hair, and he was the person who abducted and murdered her. How much weight should we afford the vendor's description of her encounter with Aaron? Aaron disappeared 25 years ago, and law enforcement officers often distrust eyewitness accounts even when given a few minutes after a crime. The vendor could easily have described Aaron's appearance and clothes because the missing person posters plastered around the town of Girdwood included this information. Perhaps the vendor saw another couple and thought the woman was Aaron. Still, the inconsistent description of Aaron's male friend raises questions. In 2015, the state budget cuts led to the disbanding of the Alaska State Troopers Cold Case Investigation Unit. The unit reopened in April 2017 with only one investigator, Lieutenant Randy McFerron. McFerron is responsible for investigating over 100 cases, including unsolved homicides and suspicious missing persons cases. The disappearance of Aaron Murray Gilbert is one of his cases. He says he would like to talk to Dave Combs, but he has been unable to find him. The troopers have never listed Dave Combs as a suspect in this case, but many find his actions suspicious on the night Aaron disappeared. He turned on his car lights for a good reason. Since April 1994, the law requires motorists to use their headlights on the Seward Highway the road Combs and Gilbert took from Anchorage to Girdwood. It is also easy to understand how Combs could have forgotten to turn off his lights on a July evening when the sun still would have been high in the sky. The curious point, though, is why Combs did not find another fair attendee to help him jump his battery. There must have been hundreds of people at the fair, and I'm sure most would have been willing to spare a few minutes to help. Instead, Combs claimed he wandered the streets of Girdwood for two hours searching for the house of a friend. 
Then he failed to report Erin missing to anyone until he called her sister the following morning. As I mentioned, it has been 25 years since Erin Marie Gilbert vanished, and during those years, Erin's disappearance at the Forest Fair has haunted her family. Her sister says Erin was strong and she would have fought. Someone must have noticed something. If you have any information about the disappearance of Erin Gilbert, please call the Alaska State Troopers at 907 907- Three seven five seven seven two eight. Most people remember a particularly haunting crime from their childhood. Often the event involves something that happened to another child, possibly even a child their age. Maybe the incident was a story in the news or perhaps it occurred in their community. My niece told me about a case she found upsetting when she was a teenager. It was the disappearance of 16-year-old Johnny Renee White, a girl her age, who vanished from a popular camping area on Kodiak Island, not far from where my niece grew up. She told me Johnny's disappearance terrified her, and for a while she looked over her shoulder everywhere she went. The disappearance of Johnny Renee White resembles the Aaron Murray Gilbert case. Johnny also vanished into thin air. And while the authorities did have a suspect in Johnny's case, they did not have a body. They also did not have enough evidence to charge anyone with a crime. On July 18, 1998, only three years after Aaron Murray Gilbert vanished, Johnny Renee White who often went by her middle name, Renee, accepted a babysitting job. The job was somewhat unusual. Sharon Dawson Rykoglo hired Johnny to babysit her small child, while Sharon and her boyfriend, Roland Scott Tennyson, attended a music festival. Johnny accompanied Sharon and Roland to the festival, and while Johnny watched the child, Sharon and Roland enjoyed the festivities. Since Sharon and Roland planned to drink alcohol, Johnny also was their designated driver. Johnny had worked for Sharon several times before and felt comfortable with the arrangement. After the music festival, Sharon and Roland decided to camp at the Pasagshack Bay State Recreation Site, an area approximately 40 miles north of the city of Kodiak. According to Roland Tennyson, After they selected a campsite, he and Johnny departed in his four-wheel-drive Ford pickup truck to collect firewood for a campfire. Tennyson claimed the truck got stuck in the mud near Narrow Cape, three or four miles from the campsite. He said he and Johnny decided to sleep in the vehicle and waited until morning to summon help. According to Tennyson, he and Johnny went to sleep at 4 a.m., and when he awoke at 10 a.m., Johnny was not in the truck. He said he thought Johnny walked back to the campsite, but no one has ever seen Johnny since the early morning hours of July 19, 1998. Sharon Rykoglo contacted the troopers when Tennyson and Johnny failed to return to the campsite, and the troopers launched a search, but they did not find Johnny. Authorities searched Tennyson's truck, 
and the area around where the pickup got stuck. It looked as if there had been a fire near the truck, but they found no firewood in the pickup. Investigators found no traces of blood or semen in the truck or on Tennyson, and they also found no drugs or alcohol in the vehicle. The troopers found no physical evidence linking anyone to the disappearance of Johnny Renee White. Despite a search by the Kodiak Island Search and Rescue, Search and Rescue Dogs, the U.S. Coast Guard Air Station, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife personnel, no trace of Johnny Renee White has ever been found. A July 2000 state coroner's jury concluded Johnny died as the result of undetermined causes on the night of her disappearance. In 2003, Johnny's mother, Jane Bond, won a $1.5 million wrongful death judgment against Sharon Rykoglo and another $1.5 million wrongful death judgment against Ronald Tennyson for Johnny's disappearance. Bond says she believes Tennyson murdered her daughter. While not enough evidence exists for a criminal trial, the civil wrongful death suit requires only a preponderance of evidence. Two bright, beautiful young women vanished in the Alaska wilderness. Neither one of them had a reason or a place to run, and no trace of either one of them has surfaced since the night they disappeared. No one believes Aaron Marie Gilbert or Johnny Renee White is still alive, but their killers need to be brought to justice. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to my patrons for your support. Check out the show notes for more information on how you can support this podcast and unlock extra episodes by joining the Last Frontier Club. You can also search for this podcast on Patreon to learn more about the Last Frontier Club. I'll see you soon for the next episode of Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier. Music